Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher bakar bin vi'im tovim veratza vedivrehem hane emarim be'emet. Baruch ata Adonai haboker batora uv Moshe avdo uv Yisrael amo uvin vieha emet vazerek. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, shalom everyone. We'd like to welcome you to the one year anniversary Haftarah podcast. Oh my goodness. Baruch Hashem. This is the get you some for Parsha Bechukotai. And my Havivi here just reminded me that, you know, we did this last year. So <laughs> blessed be the name of Hashem for sustaining us and bringing us this moment. This is definitely his grace and is definitely a gift. So without further ado, let the party begin. Well, uh, Rook Shim, like I said, is our, our anniversary half tour, if you will. You know, so that's amazing that, that you know, Hashem has brought us this far with this. Amen. But we have, we're coming from uh, Yamahu 16, uh, verse 19 through 17 and 14. And this whole, the whole concept is that Essentially, a Jew should trust only in Hashem. Amen. So, Bruiser uh, Hashem, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, a little, little bit, little bit of background, but but mostly with a focus on on what does it mean to trust Hashem, how can we internalize that, uh, and how what what's gonna bring healing to ourselves and and those around us, and ultimately the entire world. All right. And so. It's gonna be our focus, possession. We'll touch on all those uh, throughout this this uh, half tour. Oh man, can you hear that song? So starting out with just some links to our our parsha. Uh, we have this uh, warning of idol worship, and and the, the Torah portion in the half tour. We see the fulfillment of this prediction, where they're serving idols throughout the land. This is verse two of chapter seventeen, um, and then. 17.4, you know, there's this parallel to the, the Shemitah, where we're, we're punished, essentially we're sent into exile, this is the first exile going into Babylon, because we did not keep the Shemitah laws. Hmm. Uh, another point of connection is uh, that there ends on a positive note, so even though there's a lot of, seems like, negativity, if you will, and this the Torah Portia and the half Torah, really ends in this positive note, like our, you know, Vayikra 26.45 mentions that he recalls the Exodus, he recalls the forefathers, and how Hashem's going to remember the covenant on behalf of all that. And he's going to, he's still going to be our God, despite of how much we've separated from him. And of course, in the Hathorah, it says at the very end, 17.14, it, it mentions this idea of, heal me, O Hashem, then I will be healed. And so it's looking forward to like this ultimate, like healing that's going to take place for the Jewish people. Wow. And we got one final point of connection is, you know, according to our parsha, like the punishment actually befalls us because we violated all these, all our mitzvot, all these things that we're supposed to be doing to attach ourselves to a shem. But Yermahu adds that there's another underlying cause for the terrible calamities. And that's essentially that we lack trust in Hashem. Mm. And ultimately, this is 
the pattern of everything. You turned to idolatry, shemitah, uh, disconnecting from all the mitzvahs. This is all really as a root. It means we have no bitachon. We have we have no trust in Hashem. Wow. So, Mizrach Hashem, we're going to touch on how can we internalize that so we can come out of this exile. Amen. All right, so we get into, uh, before we get into verse verse 19, you know, just a little bit about, about Yamahu. You know, he was the one who was often met with hostility. You know, people persecuted him. He would reprove the people with regard to, like, all their idol worship. Uh, but he would always declare that Hashem assists him and protects him from all his enemies. And he actually predicted that, that one day his views would prevail, and even the Gentile nations will give up on their false beliefs. Oh, now, <laughs> so you know, you know what Yeshua is saying. If, if you know, what had been done in your town would have been done in like Sodom, Gomorrah. They would have repented long ago. Man, for real. <laughs> this is the the same the same concept, but you know, he is the one who literally came out in a, a wooden yoke that he made, and just like saying, "Hey, you know, this is this is not <laughs> what we're supposed to be doing. Like, this is where we're going to end up." And yokes going to Babylon. We need to give up. Stop putting your trust in Egypt. Stop putting your trust in all these nations. Stop putting your trust in your deeds and all this stuff. Like, let's accept it and move forward. And then we'll come out of this nice and easy. Man. Which is interesting when you think about Yosef was the one who allowed us to first go into Mitzrayim nice and easy. Because mm. yeah. had he not been in chains, then we would have been in chains. Man, that's that's one. That's that's a beautiful connection because literally, Yamaha who was in in chains, if you will, who was in this wooden yoke when he came out and was given that message, wow. you know, against all the false prophets. And here, Yosef is in chains, and that led his brothers to coming in. You know, that's that's a beautiful connection. Man, who is this Yosef character? <laughs> Yermiyahu and Yosef. Good night. So in verse nineteen, there's this this this. A uh, strong reminder that's given. It says, You, Hashem, are my strength. Uh, Hashem Uzi. My fortress and my refuge on a day of distress when am I antagonized by those whom I reprove? And a time will come when in the future, when even Gentile nations will come to you from the ends of the earth and proclaim, Our fathers have bequeathed to us nothing but lies, vanity, and things of no value. And, you know, it's just that this phrase, Hashem is my strength means the one who helps me, the one who gives me strength, but there's this this deeper meaning to it, and that he gives me strength through his Torah. Oh. Because Oz, I and Zion, is actually is allusion to the Torah. This whole idea of strength. Do tell. <laughs> so, this is the whole idea of strength. So, you could uh, putting, putting that back into the text, this Oz is being allusion to the Torah, it says, you Hashem are Ozi, my Torah. There is the word my again, taking possession of the Torah. Like you said, I, Enoki, is an acronym for I wrote myself down and gave it to you. But just talking about this whole, whole idea of strength, uh, we mentioned this, this whole idea of um, uh, strength also uh, Oz is Ayin 70 and Zion is 7 and this is Gematria of, of 77 right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which 
can allude to on on many things, this whole idea of when Yeshua is, is asked by his Talmudim, how many times must I forgive my brother? Get you some. <laughs> 77 times. Right. And extremely, this, this all is the strength, and the power, strength of the Torah is also this power of forgiveness that we have for one another. Uh, another illusion is also, if you go back into Brashit, and mentions this whole idea of Lamech, this descendant of Cain, talks about him avenged uh, 77 times, or 7 times 7. And what's interesting there is Rashi quotes this story about how, like, what ended up happening is he actually killed his his ancestor, Cain. Yep. And that's pretty, it's pretty interesting because this whole idea of Oz is this idea of, of nullifying ourselves, of removing our past. Just like Lamech essentially removed his, his there's allusion to him, him removing his evil past when Cain got killed through, through his actions, essentially. Man. And so we also have this idea in, uh, in Avot, you know, what we're, what we're reading to prepare us for the giving of Torah. Come on. And it says, who, who is strong? He who subdues his evil inclination. Wow. And what's interesting there is the word, word strong is not necessarily Oz, but it's the word Gabor. Which, if you break it down, is made up of two words. It's on the outside, Gimel Resh, Ger, and on the inside, Beit Vav, which could be Bo. So the words for, for Ger, like what's also used as like a, like a convert, right? Right. And then Bo, come. And so, how how does how does the convert actually come into the covenant by by accepting that, like this verse says, our fathers have bequeathed nothing but lies, vanity, and things of no value. And this is really what what stops anyone who's who's a convert or, or from a, some some different faith coming to Judaism. Essentially, what a convert is, is is one who has to give up everything his 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 ancestors taught him is truth, and he has to accept go back to a further past as a shim is his father and accept his teaching, his Torah, his life, which is the reason if you, there's a, a Midrash that says essentially a shim gave the Torah to all the nations, but they did not accept it. And they didn't accept it because on account of their fathers, on account of their father's blessings, on account of their father's teachings, they refused the Torah. And so if, if we want uh, to, to truly be strengthened, we have to go back further than our, our maternal father and mother, and we have to go to our true father, Hashem, and find strength in him and find strength in his teaching. Wow. <laughs> I've never, or I will never, first of all, look at O's the same again, and I have never seen O's to mean all of that. So, Toldarabah for the illumination. That is insane. That's also with the word, you know, war, but also another synonym for uh, strength. Man, wow. So we have this next one, verse 20 says, Nations will admit, how can make gods himself make, how can man make gods for himself if they, the people, are not themselves divine? Oh. In the time of Mashiach, the nations will admit the worthlessness of every known religion, cult, and belief other than Torah Judaism, which is the only one not man made. It is uh, interesting, just a little apologetics tag I'm going to throw in here. 
um, you could really destroy the credibility of every religion by one factor, and that is how did it start? All, all, all other religions started with one man having an epiphany, and he just had this following. Right. You know, Buddha, this, you know, achieving all these sta- stages of elevation, quote unquote elevation. And who was there with him? No one. It was just him. And he told about experience. Muhammad, you know, one person who couldn't read in a cave. All of a sudden he has this epiphany. And who was there with him? No one. He was the only one to receive it. If you begin Christianity with Paul, then one man had this spiritual experience and went around preaching. And then there's a new religion. But Judaism... You had like three million people at the foot of a mountain who literally saw saw his shim's workings and his miracles, and that's that's really what it comes down to. If you want it from a logical logical perspective, there that's it. Hmm. You know, we, you really have seen how our fathers have inherited lies, right? Oh yeah. They rely on the witness of just one person. Well, I support that because, you know, just listening to the third reading for the Aliyah Day this week, the uh, passage about spurning the law of Hashem and treating Hashem's laws as casual goes to show if Christianity is supposed to be such a righteous faith, then there is a whole lot of casualness and there's a whole lot of spurning the law. You know, from that aspect alone, like any other faith system that would spurn the law of God. I mean, that's already putting so much curse, so much uh, horrible destruction, literally into all of creation, not only just ourselves. So, I mean, what you're saying is definitely an understatement (laughs) and just over the top, you know. So, Rishim. Yeah, such like a noteworthy point for what we're what we're dealing with today, you know. Um, and we go in, going to like this is transitioning into in verse seven and chapter seventeen. Talk about the steeped in, in idol worship. It says uh, the Jews are thoroughly steeped in idol worship. It is constantly on their minds, as though engraved with hard rock. It is also highly visible, as though engraved with an iron pin, due to the fact that they erect idolatrous altars everywhere and so according to different explanations there's one that the altars actually mentioned were those of the Beha Mikdash and all these idolatrous kings would engrave images on them or destroy them in order to ridicule the whole service of Hashem just to mock Hashem wow and literally our, our service of him which is our connection to him man you know in this next verse it, it actually compares that they, they thought of their their altars like they they talked about their altars like they talked about their children you know like <laughs> that was that was their legacy is their altars that was their what they put everything in well and then verse three, oh sorry go ahead i i just would say i would hate to say that uh that's totally not relevant but it actually is because you think about commercialism and how we're treating our legacy as customs and traditions handed down by our families, as opposed to customs and traditions handed down to us from the sages, which we get from Hashem's word. So 
talk about legacy. Um, there's a lot of that going on, so that's very unfortunate. Yeah, that's, that's true. And even you know, like just putting your your child in for a TV for like a long period of time. Ouch! <laughs> you know, everything that's gonna be downloaded in them, and you're literally, you know, putting them in front of the the, the secular, idolatrous altar, if you will, of all the brainwashing and programming that's that's hidden within there yep well all right so verse number two is totally relevant to today my goodness okay three verse three you mountain dweller is 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 interesting because yermayahu sarcastically addresses the inhabitants of the kingdom of yehuda as harari like mountain dwellers because it was their habit to go up in the mountains to worship their god the gods, I should say. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so you, you know, you think of the Samaritans who worshipped, you know, the gods on this this mountain, and you know later later, and in the Basura. Yep. Oh. Same, same the same pattern being flown down. And you have uh, Basade in the field. Is mentioning the words that, like this idea that your possessions will be dragged to the field where they could be taken as spoil. And he goes in talking about the, the Shemitah year, how they didn't keep that, they're going to be punished for it. For the measure of years they didn't keep the Shemitah years, they're going to be taken in enemy soil. Yeah. And there's this interesting word, it's like, Uvcha, uh, Uvcha, it says, and in you. Uh, this is in verse 4. And there's yep. these different interpretations because it seems like, you know, there's a difficulty with this, this word in here. Right. You, know, you abandon your inheritance, which I gave you, and it will rest. But it's like, ufcha, and in you. And right. so there's different interpretations of what it means. One is essentially they're going to be hit hard by their departure. Um, that That's going to serve as a punishment for them. And the other is like, there's going to be this revenge taken on you for transgressing the laws. And the third is, like, it's also going to hit your bodies because you're not going to be master of your bodies. You're going to be forcing, the enemies are going to be forcing you to work hard for them. And should we know the phrase Adolam at the end, you know, doesn't mean forever. It means a long time because the Babylonian exile only lasts really 70 years. Wow. Going to verse five, which it really lists all these all these things that we've done wrong, and it gets into five, which is really the root of the issue. It says, "So says Hashem: Curses a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his help, saying, I will sow in the shemitah a year and eat the produce thereof, and whose heart turns from Hashem, who promised to bring blessing for the shemitah observance." Well then, and ultimately the, the issue. Not just neglecting the Shemitah, but also people failing to trust the Shin at the very root of the issue. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because uh, there's a little side note that, you know, because it says uh, in our passage, uh, Hashem Arur, which is like Hashem, right. and then it mentions first, versus right. man. And usually, Hashem doesn't mention his name with evil. Oh. 
And so it's like Hashem, the source of, he's a source of all kindness. He takes pleasure in bestowing goodness upon human beings. He is unhappy, as it were, if he must punish even the wicked and does only because his attribute of justice demands it. And usually, like to demonstrate his reluctance to punish people, he does not associate his name with evil. And so him not associating his name with evil is, is a symbol of his reluctance to punish. And so you, you see different things like in the, in the beginning of creation says and God uh, says says and God called uh, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night right, right. he associated his name with light and day but he didn't associate it with like night and darkness wow. and then in Adam and Hava when they were kicked out of the garden it said, he says uh, instead he says um and to the woman, he said, and to Adam, he said, he doesn't mention his explicit name, just he he said, he said. Wow. Because he didn't, he didn't associate his name with that. Another example of that is, uh, like, with several places in the Torah, there's also, when he's talking about the uh, clean animals and clean unclean animals, he doesn't say, hey, they're unclean, they're dirty. It mentions that they're not clean. Wow. When he associates his name with it. But here, he associates his name. Mm-hmm. Here he associates it. God is, because God is, is cited explicitly as the dispenser of the punishment when the sin is exceptionally severe. But even this actually reflects his goodness since it's beneficial for the world at large. Hmm. So, and here, like, he, he accepts it when, it's severe, when the sin is severe enough, he actually associates his name with, with this, this type of evil or... Uh, Something that's not good, essentially. I'm and just... so he actually did the same thing with the serpent. It says, Hashem Elohim said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed. And right here, so it says, Hashem curses a man who puts his trust in man, makes flesh his hope. This is indeed a serious, like, misstep that we take. So you think about that with Mashiach taking the ultimate sacrifice of the sin of all mankind. For all time. Because Mashiach's name is associated with Hashem. So Mashiach says, I came in the name of the one who sent me. And yet Hashem through Mashiach is associating him, himself with the sin of all mankind. Yeah. Like he who knew no sin beca becoming sin. So like Hashem associating his name, it's just kind of like this is the pinnacle of like the depravity that we've reached. This is the 50th level, if you will. Yeah, I think, I think you have like that's a, that's a solid point. That's a beautiful reference. You know, even the fact that, you know, here it is. It mentions two places where it says Hashem associates his name with with cursing is in regards to the serpent and regards to the man who trusts in man. Yep, right. be it. Here you have, you know, like Mashiach also has the same gemach as Nakash, the serpent. Right, and you he's know? a man. In the yes. form of man. Why, why is he the man? Why do you have to come in the form of man? Because man's what we idolize. Wow. And and so it's this idea of, of putting these two things like like in their in their right position. Man. <laughs> pun intended i guess but i mean yes. this is why we have to understand mashiach is not just a man you know he's divine you know because yes. how are you gonna 
how are you going to take the name of Hashem and associate it with such level of depravity and then be able to raise it up and rectify it? I mean, yeah, you got to be, you got to be above it all. Right. Okay. Well, you know, it goes into these, uh, Midrash actually talks about these, these different levels of, of trust. Um, you know, it also talks about why man is not able to help essentially because he's, not always inclined to, and he's not in a position to render assistance. And so there's this higher level hope, um, higher level hope get attached to. And there are these, these three basic attitudes. There's there's one, there's a person who relies completely on other human beings, doesn't trust Hashem at all, that's the worst. Two, a person relies on Hashem's agents, and that's, that's okay. You know, and there's, but the highest level is one who trusts only in Hashem. For me. You know, so there's this, there's this interesting point that says, you know, it's like the Midrash actually goes on to talk about why why do we even try? Oh, come on. And, you got to bring this out. This is beautiful. Yeah. So I'm just going to read, read through here real quick. Um, so since, since in reality all man's plans and actions are for naught and only Shim's will brings about this die role, why should we invest any physical effort at all? Why? Instead of consulting a doctor when we are sick, we only pray to Hashem. Uh, rather than working to early livelihood, we should just beg Hashem to provide for us. Rather than contacting, uh, you know, contacting anyone to help us with something, we should just call Hashem. You know, and instead of outfitting the army for battle, we should just relax and treat Hashem to defeat the enemy, and so on. And the answer is that the Torah doesn't want us to wish to challenge the Almighty. To prove direct heavily intervention Ooh. and ask for like you know it's like you shall not test the lord your god wow not also assert that it, that it just makes us lazy and inactive and we got to be partners in this endeavor you know because we're we are going to take the necessary the natural steps required for resolving the particular situation but at the same time we got to be aware that when we take the steps it's only because we are told to do so and that the result is by no means contingent on them it's all based on on a shim. Amen. So we we put for the effort, and we we've, we've got to at the same time, you know, put for the effort and realize that hey, it's Hashem's gonna to relay the outcome. I'm gonna put in the effort. Hashem's going to make it make something happen. The beautiful thing about that is Mashiach showed us this when he was praying in the garden, when he said, you know, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when Hashem's will was done, it's because Mashiach offered himself and followed through with the will of Hashem being done. Yeah. So we have to do the same thing. I agree. We're we're imbued like so much, so much like power and so much purpose. You know, and so we we get into this this next uh, next verse. It mentions. He will be like a tree planted by the water, whose roots stretch to the stream, and he'll he will not and not be aware of when heat comes, nor its leaf remains fresh. Even the years of drought, it shall not worry; mm. it will not cease to produce fruit. Wow! <laughs> and so, uh, example of this, example of a Sadiq who firmly trusted Hashem and was blessed in the present world was our forefather Abraham. And so, all these verses refer to something Abraham did. Oh, so he's compared to a tree planted by the water, since his belief in Hashem was referred to 
who is referred to as the source of living water, was firm. Uh, even those who were condemned to Gehinnom were brought close to Hashem by Abraham. This is hinted by the words of all Yavol Yeshalach Shoshov. And Yuval is translated as brought, and he reclaimed even those who were brought to Gehinnom by Yeshlach Shoshol, extending his roots, i.e. teaching them the true faith. Good night. Another word where it says he did not feel the heat. This is based on the third day of his Brit Milah, like Hashem brought extreme heat upon the world to give Abraham peace so he wouldn't have to be like this, you know, excellent host, you know, just saving him, just take a break. But he was unaffected by the heat. That's and right. Entrance and looked out for guests. Uh, does in there it says he did not have to worry in the year of drought. Mentions there's a famine that struck Eretz Canaan, and he traveled to Egypt where Shem miraculously protected him and Pharaoh gave him gifts. Man. And the last point says he did not stop producing fruit, and so even even in his old age, you know Sarah, Sarah is 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 passed away. Um, Abraham married Ketora, and he fathered many children. You know, Avidi, so all that was beautiful. To Abraham, and you know, we had this 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 idea today. Okay, well, you know, why? Because it mentions all these great things. We're always produce fruit. There's there, we're potentially going to be invincible. That's why I interpret from this verse, right? That's how we see it. Yeah. A lot of times, we ask the question, why are the Sadakim afflicted? And so, there's different ways to actually like look at this verse there's different perspectives um besides it being an allusion to abraham and so one to produce fruit is torah mitzvot mm. you know leaf not wither this means our, our children will become torah scholars and hold fast to to torah away because despite like us not having enough income or or you know where whatever um uh, but also he will not feel heat nor worry in the year of drought interpreted his spiritual level and trust in God elevate him above physical inconveniences. His life is far more joyous and tranquil uh, than the individual who trusts in, in man. And so anyone who trusts in Hashem lives on a higher plane, says all occurrences, good or evil, are serves of comfort to him because they all come from Hashem who bestows good upon his creatures. Amen. Uh, there's other interpretations about uh, the Sadakim who trusts trust in in Hashem um, says sometimes other constituents override arrived this that Hashem essentially wants to give us so much material comfort and easy life there's a lot of things that override this idea and so Hashem decides to bring poverty sickness other misfortunes upon that person and so uh, one of those one of those five things is punishment is needed to cleanse the Sadiq of some slight sin he committed so mm-hmm. he'll gain reward in the next world. Another one is his merits increase through his suffering, and therefore his eternal reward of the Lam Haba is magnified. Uh, another way is he has chosen to teach others to serve Hashem. Mm. Uh, he serves as a testing ground for others. And so they will still believe, will they still believe in divine providence after seeing the things happen to him that they don't really understand? Like, why is this guy suffering? All I see him is doing good, and he's his life is, is horrible, it's a wreck, or, or whatever. Uh... And so it's a test for other people as well. And one of the other things is he was punished for having to fail to protest against evildoers. Yikes. And so there's different reasons why you see people not being like with the 
all these great Sadiqim, not with abundant wealth. And there's there's all sorts of reasons why that doesn't happen. Um, third interpretation is that, you know, it's a false assumption that they're righteous to begin with. Oh. Man. And so, um, it's interesting because... It mentions also this other type of type of tree about uh, the wicked. It says back in verse six, he will be like a raw tree in the desert that will not see when the good rain, good uh, when the good comes. And so it mentions this raw tree. And what's interesting about that is, you know, just like the the quote unquote sadiq, who people assume to be a sadiq, but really he has nothing. Uh, this is like the person who who trusts in only man. He's like the Arar tree. Now, if you know the Arar tree, like, ever seen, like, uh, I guess, the landscape in, in certain parts of Israel, the Arar tree is a tree that's, it's like in this middle of the desert. There's like nothing around. It's all, it's all like sand and, and, you know, just this tan desert, scan, tan brown uh, landscape everywhere. And then you look and you see something growing. It looks luscious, has all this wonderful fruit on it. And you go to it and you're like, oh, wow, you know, it's something, something beautiful, something green, something living in the desert. And you open it up and what's inside is it's just like this hollow thing, but it's got these weird like spikes and webbing. Yeah. It makes this hissing sound like pssst. No way. Air. Are, and this, are you serious? Yes. Okay, because I have a picture of this pulled up on prep day right now, and it Wait, makes that yeah. sound as you open it. Yes. Like a serpent. A, yeah, like a serpent. So when Yokonan's talking about you brood of vipers, you know. Oh. Um, people who, he, he can see, you know, he sees that they don't really have faith in Hashem. They're just counting on their, you know, on what they what they've done. Dude, and this looks this is, like an oasis. Like I'm, um, you you yeah. realize what you're saying right now? Yes. Okay. There's well. so much. Like it looks what we perceive to be beautiful and wonderful and wealth and bounty and blessing may not always be that case. And this is how a lot of like wicked people are. You look at all these, you know, uh, like celebrities and stuff like that, and you know, it looks like they have it all put together. It looks like they're happy. This and that, you know. But in reality, they're empty, you know, and in reality, you know, even even different things on Facebook, you'd see different pictures on Facebook. Oh, wow, the people, they look so happy, you know, or, or you know, you start, mm. you might start coveting what other people have. But really, you know, they're just going to put the best pictures on Facebook on the really <laughs> inside. They could be they could be empty. Not saying that's always the case, you know, but it's just give us some some examples. And this is what it's like to to. Uh, Trust on man and not a shim. You're like that tree. That's what the prophet's comparing him to. Can I just say one thing? Go for it. First of all, I'm just like, I am baffled right now. Everyone needs to know if you haven't seen this tree. A-R-A-R. Google it immediately. This mm -hmm. is insane. Like, you literally open it. It looks like rotten cotton candy. Cotton candy's already not even nourishing, and like rotten cotton candy, bleh. But 
to know that this is what it's like to trust in man and not to trust in Hashem. If there was ever a picture that was worth a million bazillion insights, it is this one. <laughs> yeah, the picture is worth a thousand words. Like that, it, it's perfect. And so these these prophets aren't just giving them these random examples. You know, it's like they're giving these very vivid examples that they would they would most likely know of. Well, I'm going to be unconscious for the rest of the podcast. Please continue. So we get into 9 and 10, which is, you know, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and is diseased with improper thoughts. It may tend to think, who knows it? Who knows whether I really believe in Hashem or not? Let him bear in mind that in verse 10, I, Hashem, search the heart and test the kidneys. A man's plans to give each according to his ways and according to the fruits of his deeds. And you know, Ramkal actually mentions this, this whole idea of the ways is referring to the thoughts of man, and the fruits are referring to his actions. And so, just like he sees into, like he is, it's got like this above Superman vision, right. where he can look into that fruit and see, hey, it's empty on the inside. That's not how it's supposed to be, you know. And uh, so. There's this interesting point that Minos brings up. There's seven secrets that are hidden from man. Mm. One is the day of his death. Two is the arrival of Mashiach. Three is the depth of judgment. Four is the business that's most profitable for him. Five is another man's thoughts. Six is what will result from a pregnancy. And seven, the end of the present exile after the arrival of Mashiach. Oh. And so Hashem has his reasons for all of these. Uh, I probably won't what, touch up on 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 them all, um, but uh, I do know just a little swerve here. Swerve. Since you mentioned of a divine Mashiach, that these are seven secrets that are kept from man. Correct. Correct. Four, just just from top of mind, that Yeshua knew. Come on. Talking about the day of his death, he always mentioned the day of his death was coming. There was time when he'd be given to the hands of men. Mm. Right? And then the, the death of judgment, how many times did he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? That's you know, true. he understood the judgment for, you know, if you cover, cover your brother of Raqqa and fool and all this stuff, he, he's expounded on the death of judgment. Good night. Okay, number three. And, uh, number three. Uh, the arrival of Mashiach, right? He, he mentions, you know, no man knows the time, the hour, there'd be shofars blowing. Of course, we know this is, you know, if you're familiar with, with Jewish literature, it's the idea of like Rosh Hashanah, the time period he's coming back at. Ken. And number five, another man's thoughts. Or, sorry, this is number, number five, four. the secret, number four in our list. Okay. Another man's thoughts. As it says in Yahweh 17.10, in this half tour, I, Hashem, search the heart implying that others cannot. That's what the Midrash says. And Yeshua says, perceiving their thoughts. Come on, come on. <laughs> you know, so there's there's this idea. So just a little little bit of a, a Muna juice for you drink. Wow. Take that one on the rocks. All right, Burgesia. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. You know, there's the, towards towards the end of our half tour, we got 11. Okay. Mentions like, 
a bird would brood over the young of others and twitters to attract fledgings that he did not produce, but cannot deceive them once they grow older, for they realize he is not their father, and they, are, they stop following him. So is one who acquires riches by unjust means. In the middle of his days, he will leave them, and in the end, he will be exposed as an evil person. Um, just kind of like the top part mentions this whole idea of like this this bird that comes in and it broods over the nest. That's not really it's not really the mother bird. It's just a random bird that does that. And so the the fledglings wake up and they say, "Hey, you know, you're not my mama." But this is kind of a flashback, really, to early Hathor, where it says our our fathers, the nations will come and say our fathers have inherited lies, vanities. Yep, not my mama. And so this this idea is like, once we grow older, we realize that he is not their father, right? We gotta we gotta realize that, you know, we have to the way to acquire Torah, especially for like a convert coming in, and even mentions that all the Jewish people converted, if you will, at Sinai. That's um, right. So as a, as a rabbi said many times, um, but we have to realize that we have inherited lies. And we cannot stand when the Shem's offering us the Torah. We cannot say, "Hey, but my my father said, my mother said, my grandfather did this, my great grandfather did this." Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's like the words of Messiah Yeshua: "Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my father? Who is my sister?" The one yeah. who keeps the word of a Shem. That's why he said that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he, he wants people to accept this teaching that's going to be that's going to be a healing for the world. Wow. And that is the Torah. Can and you so, mention the fact that the detail is mentioned in that account that his mother and his brothers were outside? Mm. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, if you feel like you're in, you have this family strain, you know, in your life going right now because of the way you're trying to walk, then know you're in good country because you sure had it too. That's right. You look at like he says these lines. Knows no one's a prophet in his hometown. Mentions you know he just the very fact that that he said that you know there's obvious there's this there's this kind of tension between his family you know Miriam and his brothers who didn't believe until after his death like at least his brothers yeah and so you know if you're having family tension at the moment because of the way you're trying to walk then just be encouraged because you are literally cleaving to Mashiach that's right with that aspect. Rukashim. So, you know, it mentions the one who requires riches unjustly, you know, by violating the laws of Torah. Essentially, this person fails to realize that Hashem is the source of all substances. So if you're, you know, charging interest to other Jews or if you have a business or you work on, on Shabbat, then come come out of that. If you're working on Yom Tums, come out of that. I mean, because you have to trust that it's not your boss giving you the money. It's it's Hashem. He I gives mean, you the part of stuff. I mean... And, you know, it's this idea that by hearing the Torah laws, even though it seems that we incurred loss, Hashem always compensates with another benefit. And so there's always, always something else that he's, he's going to bless us with. So we get to our, the, the last stretch of the ending of, of the Tav Torah. It mentions, you know, verse 12, the a throne of glory exalted from the beginning since the before creation is the place of our Beit HaMikdash. Oh, uh, the Behag Mikdash is a home on earth for the Shekinah to dwell. 
Therefore, since Hashem's Shekinah rests among us, it is proper that Hashem is the source of hope, the Nikva of Israel. Mm. And literally the source of living waters. This is my favorite part. <laughs> wow. You got a little bit this section? Uh, well, no, not really. I just, you know, just thinking about the temple being the source of, of our, you know, just our purification, our cleansing and that we should desire to be there and how much more when it's rebuilt, will there be purification for the whole entire world? As Yehazakel mentions in his prophecy that even the water that will flow out from the temple will even purify the waters of the Dead Sea. And that's just... Wow. That's just basic, you know, not to mention other things that are going to happen. <laughs> Man, <laughs> purify the dead sea. And Mashiach says that when you place your Amuna in me, that rivers of living water will flow out of you. Man, you you have the, the, the ability to to pour out life into the world. That's a, that's such a powerful idea. Oh, you know? oh, I just, oh, I just realized what you said. Okay, go for it. So, I mean, this, this is literally, ah, okay. So here, I'm going to, I'll read this next person and go into it. Um, all right. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah. But it, on the ending of attaching ourselves to the source of living waters, which is Hashem, those who cling to Hashem and trust in him are bound up with these swords. They will enjoy unlimited, never-ending goodness in this world and the next. And so it's this idea of a mikvah. But then we get into Force 14, which actually really gets the source of our uh, Rafua Shlima prayer, if you will, in the Amidah. Ken. So, Woo. you know, I know Josh about that this, you know, last time we did the half Torah. But um, so if you're wondering, hey, should you pray? Yes, you're literally like living Torah <laughs> as, yeah. you, as you're praying. Pretty that. much. <laughs> that says, heal me, O Shem, that I'll be healed. Help me, that I'll be helped. For you are my praise. That is, I praise you for constantly helping me. So, on a personal level, you know, your, your mind who is concluding a personal prayer, asking him to save him and heal him for the blows and insults which he suffered. Um, on a deeper level, he's praying to heal me, O Shem, for my moral and spiritual ills, so that I can also be healed physically. Yes. Save me from the accusing angels so I'll be saved from physical affliction. Mm. And just this idea that, you know, he would, like, um, this idea in the half tour that it's not always, you know, in our prayer that we pray, it's not just this physical cure when we're praying the prayer in Amidah. That's right. Um, it's, it's that we are aware that physical suffering is caused by spiritual defects. That's, yep. If not on the part of the individual, then a part of the society at large. And so we entreat Hashem to heal our souls. Mm. And one of the most potent medicines for that soul is literally trust in Hashem. It's bitakon. You know, it mentions the Telim, he who trusts in Hashem is surrounded by kindness. Mm. And so, uh, we just have this idea of health and think about every time you're, you're asking for health because there's this sickness, right? Mm -hmm. There's this, there's this need for the cure. And what is, what is sickness? Every time you get sick, you know, you got, you know, a virus, you got a bacteria, you got, 
you know, bl- blemishes on your body, some type of blemish, whatever it is, there's something that's there. There's something that's attached to you that's not meant to be there. Yep. Come on. And so the idea, the idea of, of health is, and restoring health is the idea of restoring you to your natural state. Hmm. And so, you know, like I said, it's not just on a physical level, because there's a spiritual level. We mentioned before that mitzvah, the whole root of that is to connect to a shim. That's right. Right? And so when we disconnect to a shim, we disconnect from him, I should say, then there's all sorts of things that, that all sorts of suffering that, that comes our way. You know, and there, there's all sorts of problems that come our way. And you know, if you, you literally look at this idea of, you know, sometimes you if you ever been in a situation where you're trying to reprove somebody or, or what have you, or, you, you know, you just talk about this idea of doing this and not doing that, a lot of times people get defensive. And then, you know, they ask the question, what, what am I not, am I not good enough? So you're saying if I don't do this and I, I do do this, am I not good enough? Hmm. And, you know, logic, logic, the logical response the logic idea to that would be, you know, they're, they're talking about, I'm not good enough, me, myself, I, the logical response is that, you know, that this person is, is thinking about themselves too much. But what Torah says is that they're not thinking enough about themselves. Oh. And so I'll kind of lose state more what I mean here in a second, but... <laughs> Tap. (laughs) (laughs) We're not making enough for ourselves when we think about that. Um, Because it's it's really not about being good enough. People say, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this. Whatever the case may be. You know, it's not about being good enough. It's about being who you, it's about being you. It's simple. It's about being you. It's about being who you were called to be and accepting your purpose in life. Huh. You know, uh, Ram Kaul cites this idea of the whole creation of man. And the purpose of man was of, of being a being. Like Hashem wanted to bestow his good upon his creatures, right? And, and the whole purpose of man is, is being worthy of the good. Being worthy of the good that Hashem bestows by perfecting himself. And and what is this goodness? Uh, Mashiach himself says it. You know, he says he says only God is good, right? It's this idea of, of being worthy to cleave to God. You're 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 proving to him, like you know, you're like this whole purpose of man is essentially just accepting that that your whole purpose in life is to cleave to him, is to be attached to him, and that is what goodness is. It's not all these other vanities out there that's being thrown in our face with every screen that's out there in the world on a billboard on a tv on an ipad on a phone you know on a computer that's not the good the, the good is a shim and that was our purpose is literally to be cleaving to him to be attached to him and so you know we have we have this this great paradox in life and that's literally you know if if we make ourselves nothing it is because we accept ourselves as something oh but 
if if we make ourselves out to be something, it's really due to the fact that we've accepted ourselves as nothing, like as no thing, as 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 something that has no inherent value to it whatsoever. You know, and just just kind of elucidate this idea. You know, when you, when you have this idea of of someone who makes himself out to be something. Right. Oh, I'm I'm good because I do this or, you know, I'm, I'm a part of of this this group or this this religion, this ideology. Um, and so literally, like, why why do you feel the need to, to say that? Why do you feel the need to say I'm important because I have this skill or I'm important because I I I pray all the time or I study Torah or I'm involved in this and this and this, you know, because inside you're not accepting your, 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 your value. And so you try to put your value in, in what you do as opposed to who you are. The inherent value Hashem has you in or has, has been placed inside of you. Tag whenever you know. you're ready. Okay. Um, so it's just, it's really this idea of, you know, hey, you know, Someone is is really not going to sit in front of a, a screen, whether it's like running like on a phone or on a computer or you know you know for just watching TV doing nothing. If unless literally they they believe themselves to be worthless, because once you set once you accept that that you are something, then you can nullify yourself. You can nullify all your physical desires in the sake of of the true purpose in life. For, for example, you know, say you're um, ex- extremely tired and you're like, man, I don't know. You know, I got home a little late. I don't want to I don't really want to play Marie right now or this right now. Or I want to take a nap, you know, like really what you're saying is is is, you know, that you don't accept your your true worth, your true value, because if you understood that like your prayer matters, like like Mashiach says, livings of, of flowing water like will run forth from you. Yeah, you have the power to change the world. You have the power to heal the world, right? If you truly accepted that, you would make yourself nothing. And be like, hey, it's not about me being tired. Me not being tired. You know, I'm I'm gonna drink a coffee. I'm gonna you know put put a, a bag of cold ice on the back of my neck or on on, on my back to wake me up. Woo. You know. Flash cold water on my face and I'll pray. Why? Because I'm I'm something. Hashem made me something. Hashem made me in his image. Hashem made me to change the world. And therefore I gotta nullify myself. I've got to make myself a nothing because all these physical desires I have are not compared to who I am. Wow. And so someone who's saying, Oh, you know, I don't you know, you're saying not good enough if, if uh, I don't eat at a coat and I don't eat at only kosher restaurants or I don't wrap my hair or I don't put a keep on or uh, I don't pray or I don't say Torah or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's, it's not that it's, it's that that person is living in a falsehood. They're not actualizing their, their, their true potential. They're not, they're not accepting who they truly are. And that's people who are literally made to perfect the world and heal other people. And, you know, just, just this takun olam, this repair of the world. So I'll, I'll let you tag in. I, I got some more thoughts, but I'll let you, I'm going to let you tag into this idea. Uh, well, Brugashem, 
because I agree so much with what you just said. And it is a very, very beautiful elucidation. Like, it's hard hitting, but we need that because sometimes we have to shake ourselves awake. You know, and that's exactly what you're talking about. And the first thing that comes to mind that I would like to connect, I want to connect Mishle 10-2 with the Agarit to the Romans 12-3. And this is how we're going to do it. So in Mishle 10-2, it's talking about Zadaka. It's talking about giving. It's talking about charity. And it says, charity rescues from death. So when you look at this concept that says, the true power of wealth is wielded not by those who amass it, but by those who spend it properly. As the Talmud Ketubot 66b states, the preservative of money is the lessening of it, i.e. the best way for someone to preserve his fortune is by giving to charity and using it for other mitzvot. So when you think about what you just said for the specific example of praying Ma'ariv and turning off the TV when you get home, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, I'm tired right now. It's like, well, you actually, you want to get some energy? You want to get some energy? Pray Ma'ariv right now. Do it. Because guess what? When you do it, you've now entered into Romans 12, 3 where it says, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to use sound judgment as God has assigned each person a measure of amunah. Your amunah is your being and your doing and your existing in the reality of Hashem. And might we mention that the beginning of this passage, starting in chapter 12, says that we have to present our bodies as a living Corbin. First, we have to present ourselves to the nullification that needs to happen so that the result can be the measure of Amuna that Hashem has actually assigned to us to burst forth like the rivers of living waters. You realize the waters of a mikvah are always moving. They're never stagnant. They're never stale. And they're, they have power when they move. And so what ends up happening at this moment that we present ourselves to this lessening agent or, or in this nullification, we cause that freshness to burst forth. So that's all I wanted to say. No, I love that, man. I think that's that a beautiful elucidation. Uh, just such such a, a powerful concept we need to be in, engraved in our minds. And, you know, it's just uh, this idea, you know, it's essentially what you're saying by, by doing all these, these actions that really have, have no purpose to them whatsoever is you're just saying, you know, this concept, oh, we made ourselves into something, right? Oh, well, it's okay because I'm already saved or I'm good enough or I'm, I did this this week. You know, I've already done my good deeds of the week. So, you know, we and making yourself a something is because we don't see the value in, in ourselves. We see it in our deeds, right? And wow. this mikvah, you mentioned this idea of a mikvah, and it says Hashem is our mikvah. It says, mikvah Israel Hashem. And literally, he is our mikvah. And you look at the mikvah, you got the upper waters, you got the lower waters. Like you said, it's constantly flowing. 
But if you look at the imagery, uh, it's it like takes you almost back to Rashid before he divided the waters, upper and lower waters. Mm. And so being immersed in the mikvah is like you're you're being immersed in Hashem, like you're being like like leaving to him. You're you're going into his world, into his perspective, going into his world view. And no longer seeing it from your perspective, like our earthly perspective, we see it from his spiritual perspective, you know. But there's this there's this point that, you know, we, you know, yes, Hashem's the mikvah, but if if we want it to work, we have to we have to jump in. We have to wow! If you we know, want it to work, we have to jump in. Goes back to what we talked about, you know, right? We talked about you know why why do we just do nothing if we're trusting Hashem? Because if we do nothing, then we become un- ungrateful. You know, if we do nothing, we become ungrateful, and and that's it, game over. There's no action on our part. Like, what do you do? You know, and then you're ultimately going to slip into some action. There's going to be this decline, this steady decline. Well, uh, I want to take a a swerve and come back to this point. This is the close of a half tour mentions heal me, heal me, heal me. Right? And right. just to kind of connect it to our idea of we have to initiate action. And this close is the positive note that half tour ends on, just like the positive note of our overly seeming overly negative uh our tour portion, right? Right. <laughs> and that mentions it mentions the Avot, the forefathers. And so at the end of the at the end of the parsha, the Avot are mentioned. And so um, this is from Rav Benzon Habastan. May his memory be for a blessing. Amen. This idea that um, the Avot they're mentioned in our Torah portion, but not necessarily in chronological order. They're mentioned in the order of their attributes and the errors they personified. Oh. So after the Torah was given. At Sinai, Claude Israel entered the era of Torah. This was personified by Yaakov, who was a pillar of Torah. When the Bnei, when the Mikdash was built, they entered the era of Avodah, and Yitzhak embodied the attribute of service, Avodah. And the last generations of the era before Mashiach are connected to Abraham, who was the epitome of Chesed. Oh. And then he quotes the Baal Shem Tov, explaining this idea that the final era before Mashiach emphasized the emphasis must be placed on the deeds of chesed, the deeds of kindness, to hasten the redemption. And so, you know, this is like the comparing it to the end of our half tour, in and out, pause, not heal me, heal me, heal me. How are we going to be healed? You know, and and our half tour, it mentions the the righteous planted like a tree by the water. What is water? It's Torah. Hmm. You know, and and so yeah, the righteous are okay. You know, if we're we're by if we're by the water, then we're going to be growing, right? Yeah, we're going to be planted like a tree by the water because we're we're immersed in the Torah. But you know what what about what about those who, for whatever reason, they have a lack. They're in a spirit. They're in a state of lack. They're in a state of need. They don't have Torah. They don't have words of of life. Right. Right. What happens there? How 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 do they survive? Hmm. And you know, I, I I like to compare that person who is not by the, the streams of water 
to the person who does not see value in themselves, the person who sees them, who makes them out to be a something because they don't think they're anything. Hmm. Right. That's a person without water streaming through them. Right. And I, 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 you know, and so how do they survive? And then going back to our tree analogy, right. There's these trees and I, I forget where it is. Um, it's in Sacramento or Sequoia forest. And there's these, I think it's Sequoia, but these, it's these really tall trees and they have these very, very, the roots don't go very deep. And so they could be easily pushed over. There's strong winds that come by these tall trees would be pushed over like an instant. But the reason they survive, the reason they don't fall is because they are connected the root systems are connected to all these other trees. <laughs> so they sustain each other. Wow. And so the person, the person, and, and water is also representative of, of, of Torah and, and chesed and kindness, right? Right. And so I, I submit to you, the person who doesn't see any value in themselves, so like the, the, the tree that is, is not planted by that stream of water, by that stream of, of, of Torah, these words of life, these words of strength, these words of healing, right? And, and how do we sustain those people, right? Is by doing acts of kindness for them, right? They're not by the water. So we need to be reaching out and grab and hold each other and say, hey, like, it's okay. We're going to hold on until, you could, until the stream reaches your end. We're going to sustain you through this. Hmm. And so... This is what's going to be redemption. So, yes, there, there is this aspect of, you know, the people who they try to make themselves out to be something because they don't see the true value in themselves. And that's why that's why people sin. Like and it's quoted by our rabbis, you know, the whole idea of all oh, this person only sins if a spirit of, of stupidity comes upon them. Right. A, a spirit of, of, of falsehood. They don't see who they truly are, what their purpose is in this life. And therefore, they submit themselves to all these are teachings, these old teachings, or these teachings of their environment. But these people, they're not the people who we need to be pointing at and be saying, hey, look at them. It's their fault they're in this situation. Wow. They're the people we need to be reaching out, branching out to, and sustaining them. Because how, if a person really has a low self-esteem, right, this is where most people really think, where they, they don't do the mitzvahs because they don't see any value in themselves. Hmm. What is really going to help them? You bring them down by saying it's your fault, you're in this mess, or by you reaching out with kindness, giving them a word of encouragement, this word of life that's going to bring them up, that's going to help see the value in themselves, so that when it comes down to it, when it comes back to the same scenario, whatever it is, we'll just do the example of a prayer. You know, they'll say, hey, you know, it's not just about what I do. Like, I, I, my prayer is valuable to Shem. He wants to hear my prayer. All right, and so they're going to do whatever it takes to serve him properly. Whatever I believe this is we need to adopt if we really want to bring Mashiach, we want to bring the, the redemption, we need to be like Abraham, because going back, we talk about where the tree, the people who are by Torah and by these livers of life and strength and healing are the trees planted by the water. Well, the Midrash says that that was also a reference to Abraham, right? And what did what did uh, this rabbi say about, about Abraham? He embodied chesed. And this is the generation we're in right before Mashiach. We have to show chesed. We have to share that that stream of life with people, and we if we if we do kindness to them, we show kindness to them. People are going to see the value in themselves, and they're they're going to flourish just like we 
just like we do. Oh, man. Well, Brugashim. <laughs> um, I guess that will be our indexing of the Haftara and taking us into the practical insights or practical takeaways. So, uh, just a very, very beautiful ending as far as understanding, branching out and uh, supporting and encouraging and being like Abraham. You know, it's a beautiful picture of the reverse of the way the Torah went out, you know, like it went Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Now it's coming all the way back, Abraham, but then it's going to just like explode all over the world. And it's like Hashemayim Esaparim. It's Olam Habata. <laughs> so that's a beautiful ending and very, very encouraging. So Toda Rabbah. Okay. Um, may I go first? <laughs> yes, you may. Um, because I just pulled up, you know, Sequoia's Redwoods. And, um, you know, these are considered to be the largest trees that like these are the largest largest organisms in the world you know um they're the tallest trees trees don't really get that tall usually uh, and these just far exceed that um obviously we haven't mentioned any of the things like the leviathan or or those things because those are kind of very very big but when it comes to the sequoia you know, the root system and the branching out is absolutely immaculate, you know, uh, to think something so large. Uh, these trees are practically indestructible. And when you think about what you said with the branching out, with the supporting, with the the chesed, you know, when someone is surrounded by chesed, it is practically impenetrable. You know, uh, Zakin uh, Yosef. And the Chesed class uh, brought this up in his final class that, you know, if you know someone who's full of Chesed and they're surrounded by Chesed, you want to be a part of their life. You're just like, man, can I have this person over for Erev? Can I, can I, can I study with you, man? Like, not to be a creeper or anything, but can we hang out? <laughs> and by hang out, you don't mean like going to a movie. You mean like, I want to like dive in together. I want to study Torah. I want to talk life on life, like practical application of this Torah that we live in, you know? And, you know, and so I just thought about that. And what I want to synth synthesize with that is actually from Or HaChaim on Vayikra 26.3, uh, page 412, if you have the Or HaChaim. And he talks about the the fact that we make ourselves into an empty vessel to do a mitzvah. And this is kind of like the, you know, so what's the point, you know, right? With Hashem. It's, and so he's saying here, he says, given that this is so, that a mitzvah performed without an understanding of its inner meaning is essentially an empty vessel. So, you know, we talk about Nasev and Ishmael, right? So... If we don't understand it, but yet we're doing it, we're like an empty vessel, which, by the way, is the best way to be because Hashem will fill those. But I digress. It says, yet intention to fulfill Hashem's decree with it 
gives it the fullest value. So in other words, you may have an empty vessel because you don't understand the mitzvah you're performing. But if your intention is to fulfill Hashem's will, his desire, his decree, then it becomes like way valuable, like way more than an empty vessel. To which I go down just a little bit further and he says, so should we just sit back and just have all this desire and not even perform a mitzvah because the fact that we desire takes such value before Hashem? He's like, well, to teach that this is incorrect, our verse says, and you shall perform them, which means that this promise by Hashem to credit a person as if he performed the mitzvah in ideal fashion is given on condition that he performs everything relating to the mitzvot that is in his power to do. So in other words, how much are you, are you personally able to bring to the table? Even if you don't understand, Hashem is like, great. Now let me take that and I'm going to like do some amazing stuff. So just stand back and watch this. And so... When you think about everything that we talked about today, when you talk about making your, like, first of all, not thinking about yourself enough, when you really think about yourself enough and understand the nothingness that you can bring to bring the something that you are, I mean, that right there, you know, you overturn death and turn it into life. You take decline and you turn it into elevation. And you take what was once stagnant, full of like maggots and flies, infested, stinky smell, and you turn it into a garden. And so I just want to encourage myself, Hasis, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage our listeners that let's go for it. Like unashamedly just push all the way to the max in this and just have no regrets, take no prisoners, if you will, because the power that we have available to us, we have to use it. And uh, to close my uh, practical takeaway, I want to bring up the Shazam movie that in there, the antagonist wanted to destroy the protagonist before the protagonist knew how much power and how much ability he actually had. And it was only a matter of time. And so when we really look at that concept, you know, the enemy is far ahead of us. He, he knows that, wow, these, these children are so young. But the beautiful thing is, Hashem is the one who is giving us the opportunity to step up to the plate, to take up on the mantle that he's freely offered us, and that we can actually overpower the enemy. We can bring salvation to the world. We can do that, and we can do it now. So, like we said, the redemption starts at home. So may it be so. Toda. I love that, man. Everything you said is beautiful. You know, it's like sometimes I think you're, we're so downcast, you know, there's, there's so many screens in our face that's telling us what's wrong with us, you know, what we need, what we don't need, what we should want, what we should not want, you know, that 
we we lose sight. We lose sight of who we are and who we're called to be. And you know, it's it's really like all this this half Torah all it deals with just not trusting the Shem. We don't we don't we didn't trust the Shem that he made us for a purpose. We didn't trust the Shem that like that he's literally values us so much, the way he created us with so much power, so much influence on the world around us. Uh, like and we we need to revitalize our 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 hope. Amen. And we need to trust in him the way we trust in him the way we come down the root issue like what it comes down to what it what does it mean to trust what does it take to trust him and what it comes down to is accepting your value accepting who you are not what everyone society your parents whatever tradition uh friends whatever whatever everything else all these voices that are telling you to think how to think how to act how to do everything you know Wow. Forget all that. You you have to be you. You have to be the one that Shem created. Hmm. Right? You have to see your value as an individual and realize all these all these physical desires you have and a lot of these desires we have aren't even our own. They're just stuff we've been constantly flashed before our eyes through all these screens we have. Wow. You know, and so in order to trust the Shem, we have to see the value in who we really are as a person. And understand that every mitzvah we do, every prayer we say, every kind deed we do, like I love you mentioned charity, you know, you know, you know, give the people what they need and, and, and add, a, add an encouraging word. And because like there's some people who, who don't, who have been so beaten down, who are so far from the stream for whatever reason, maybe it's their fault, maybe it's someone else's fault. Like the blame gains, one of the reasons why we got kicked out of the garden. So let's wow. not go there. Right. You know, it's about what can we do? What can we fix? If there's a problem, Baruch Hashem, because that means there's a solution that, that you get to solve. Mm. And that solving that solution, Hashem allows you to do that to give you confidence so you can see who you are, so you can see your true power, so you can influence the world. And, and so you can help others who are too broken to see their value that just by just extending a kind hand, a kind word to them, that they may come to see their value and therefore living waters can be poured out to the world. You know, that's what mentioned Telim, Telim 3210. He who trusts in Hashem is surrounded by kindness. Mm. Right? How do you trust in Hashem? You see the value in who you are. How do you see the value in who you are? You you surround yourself by kindness. Whether you immerse yourself in Torah or if someone's far away from that, you bring the Torah to them. You bring the life to them. You allow the water to flow their way with your kind deeds so that they can grow as well. And that's really how we're going to solve this root issue of trust in Shem, no matter what it is. It's money issues, it's family issues, you know, relationship, any kind of relationship issues, whatever it is. Uh, whatever doubts, insecurities, fears, sins in our life, we're going to fix it by trusting Hashem. We trust Hashem when we see the value in who we are. And so I guess that's just really... My practical takeaway, just shut down. If you can't completely shut down things that are going to distract you from your purpose, you know, if you can't completely shut down all these, all this social media and, and all these, all these negative influences that are telling you what to want and what to desire and putting thoughts in your head. If you can't completely shut it down, then limit it, limit it and make time for a shim, 
make time for just doing doing good deeds, hmm. prayer, Torah study, things that's going to instill real value and a reminder of your purpose in life and how truly like special you are. Selah. That brings me to tears. Like, I'm not crying. You know, I'm good. Just, just a little like, dust you know, in my helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a whole new perspective. It's not, it's not his shim saying, you're bad, I'm going to punish you. It's a shim saying, like, just be who you are. Stop being like, I'll try, try to be all like all, all these nations. They're lost. They forgot their original father. They forgot me, but you have me. You have the Torah. You have my teaching. Like, remember who you are. Be who you are. Stop trying to be someone else because if you understand how I made you and who I made you to be and what impact you have in the world, then redemption can happen now. And on a personal level and on a national level, redemption can happen now. And may it be so with a Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Amen. Well, that will conclude our time for our Haftarah podcast. Todarabah for joining us. And as we all know that is so true, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Adonai Eloheinu menakaolam Zur kol haolamim Zadik bekol hadorot Ha'el haneeman haomer veose Hamdaber um kayem shekol davarav Emet Vazedek. Ne eman atahu Adonai Elohenu. Vene emanim devareka. Vedavar echad midvarecha. Akor lo yashuv recham. Ki el melek ne eman verakaman ata. Borukata Adonai. Ha el ha ne eman bekod davarav. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. For your insights and for sharing them with us. Many blessings to you and your household. This is Shomer Man and Chasiz Baz signing off for the Haftarah. Get you some. Sending you a Shalom and Shavua Tov. Shalom.